This is Tony. And this is Matt. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. What if we did two episodes at a time? Oh, uh, you're giving them a peek behind the curtain. I didn't really think of it that, that way. I meant like concurrently. Like we're just like talking about two separate topics at once. Oh, that'd be really difficult to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to construct it yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like a puzzle. Yeah, a it's puzzle like, episode. It's like the memento of podcasts. Yeah, oh, we can do one in reverse. There you go. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we think of this before? Yeah. So when you listen to the black and white one, uh, that's already happened. Okay. And when you listen to the uh, the color one, mm-hmm. um, that is uh, the story unfolding in real time. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch Memento in order? No, that seemed dumb. It is, but it, it's an extra feature on the DVD. Oh, is it? Yeah. Interesting. I I, I put it on once out of curiosity. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it doesn't work at all. Right. Yeah. Because it's designed to be out of order. Yeah. I still think that might be his best movie. Really? It's I, up there. I would have thought for sure you would have been a prestige guy through I, and through. That's his best movie. Yeah. Yeah. How did you know? I, because I think about a year ago, I'm like, oh, hey, I, I finally saw The Prestige. And you're like, I think that's Christopher Nolan's best movie. <laughs> oh, that that really would have clued you off. <laughs> uh, Do yeah. you, what's your assessment of what's Christopher Nolan's best movie? Um, Tony. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I know people were really like turned off by, you know, love being the fourth dimension, but I really liked Interstellar. I like Interstellar too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Prestige is up there, Interstellar. Um, I, you know, Dark Knight is great. Yeah, it is. So great. I don't think, I don't think I ever saw Insomnia. Insomnia or Insomniac? Insomnia. It's a remake. Mm hmm. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about Following? You ever see Following? Oh, no, I haven't seen that. That's his first one, right? Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's cool. Yay. Christopher Nolan. Um, Comic books. Well, oh, there we go. We can kind (laughs) of get there. Um, Yeah, so what are we talking about today, Matt? Today we're talking about Bitch Planet. Yes, we are. Yeah. That's a fun title to say, Bitch Planet. That that popped my pop filter. You say Bitch Plant? Bitch Plant. Ooh, that, that's that's Bitch Planet. Um, it's a comic book. Yes. Yeah. Uh, put out by Image Comics. Are you familiar with Image Comics at all? Like, yeah. What, what do you know about Image Comics? I know that Image Comics was founded by Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson and Rob Liefeld and Jim more. Lee. And Jim Valentino. And Jim Valentino. Uh, yeah, they were a bunch of... Uh, young hotshot artists working for, uh, I believe, mostly Marvel at that point. Um, responsible for things like, um, you know, some of the like X Force, some of like the really big early '90s mainstream comics. Uh, you know, McFarlane famously, uh, Spidey. Spidey. Yeah. Um, and they realized they were not getting what they felt was enough compensation and credit for their work. They and, were the draw and, and their their creation. Yeah, they were they were drawing these big, beefy, in some cases, kind of anime inspired uh, takes on comics. Um, there was that early '90s comic boom uh, when they realized they weren't getting what they thought was their cut. They they left, 
They found Image Comics, which to this day remains one of the big comic publishers. And Image's thing is uh, you own all your stuff. Mm -hmm. You write it, you draw it, you own it. It's yours. Um, and, and that's, you know, what are we, 30, 30 years later? Almost. Um, yeah. Yeah, and they've been sticking to that ever since. So some of them have certainly come back around to do stuff for Marvel and DC, Jim Lee. Um, I remember doing the Hush storyline in mm -hmm. Batman when I was yeah. in high school. It's interesting because it seems that a lot of modern um, creators or artists and writers that are working for Marvel and DC, they'll do their Marvel DC stuff and then they'll jump over to Image for their creator-owned stuff. So you have heavy hitters like Jason Aaron and um, Jonathan Hickman and Matt Fraction um, and all these guys and uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, who is the creator and writer of Bitch Planet. And um, she is pretty much responsible for this um, uh, this kind of, I wouldn't say reboot, but basically this kind of reimagining or, or modernization of Captain Marvel. Yeah, the, the, the version of Captain Marvel that made it to the film, mm -hmm. Captain Marvel, is, is based on the, 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 the revised framework of the character that she wrote. Yeah, it, it was funny because when I started seeing um, her issues of Captain Marvel pop up, I was like, oh, that, that character looks cool. I don't remember Captain Marvel much. And then when I researched, um, she was a big part of Brian Michael Bendis' Avengers run, but her her costume was essentially like a, a bikini. Or it was kind of like a bathing suit. Yeah, it was like a one-piece uh, bathing suit kind of thing, all like legs completely exposed. You know, uh, Brie Larson famously was brought in for a meeting with Marvel to talk about being Captain Marvel, and they had that artwork up. And she's like, "I'm not doing that." And they're like, "Oh yeah, no, 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 that's the old one. Don't worry about it." Yeah. And this new, the, we'll, we'll give you pants. <laughs> the new one is like, yeah, she's like, like armor, like a flight suit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool design. And she also streamlined her hair and gave her this sort of like mohawk kind mm -hmm. of. Um, like blonde hair that kind of sticks out of her helmet. Well, even like even during that run Bendis did on Avengers, uh, she stood out as looking out of step with everybody else. Oh yeah, she, it, it looked like a character from another era. And sure, I, that was the last bits of the '90s, I think, kind of hanging on. Sure. Um, and what's great about her Captain Marvel run is she took the character and and made her essentially this do-gooder for space so she kind of went off into space and was helping people everywhere and come back to earth every once in a while to help out the avengers and that's kind of the version that we see in in the new um movie based off of the character and also in the avengers movies yeah she's kind of like a green lantern yeah yeah space cop except for way more powerful true i mean green lantern it's like scared of yellow i always thought that was so lame that his weakness was yellow right it's half of green yeah, but it's still lame. I, I, I'm, I'm using that it's half of green as a defense of you thinking it's lame. What? I don't know. Like, isn't there an opposite color that <laughs> <laughs> maybe like couldn't purple have been? I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the color wheel. It's been a while. Well, since I mean, at it. the the complementary color would be red mm -hmm. to green. Yeah. So maybe that's Christmas lantern. Christmas lantern. No. <laughs> sure. Anyway, 
Uh, so Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, created this series with um, an artist by the name of Valentine Delandro. Or Valentine? We think it's Valentine. I don't know. Um, and this is like a send up of 60s, 70s women in prison films, exploitation films, and kind of revenge films. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in interviews, she said that she's actually very fond of those movies, but she kind of wanted to do a modern version of it that really embraced feminist ideals. And this is like a science fiction kind of. Uh, yeah, it's a dystopia. Yep. Essentially, the women, um, it, it's about a, you know, a penal colony in, in space. Mm-hmm. That is derogatorily referred to by men on Earth as bitch planet. Yeah, it's actually called the Auxiliary Compliance Outpost because they send women women there when they're non-compliant, meaning, you know, they're not doing what the men want. Right. I mean, in this world, non-compliance can mean uh, not pleasing your husband. And there's one character who whose father has been arrested for... Um, you know, engaging in uh, a mixed race relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really behind all the the grindhouse sci-fi trappings. It's a pretty grim, like Handmaid's Tale kind of world we're talking about. Yeah, and she, with that title, I think she makes it pretty clear that this is not going to be subtle. Like this is didactic by nature. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at the end of the the first collection, there's this whole section where she lists um, like discussion points <laughs> in order for people who are reading the comic. Things like, does a science fiction setting influence your reading of the story? If yes, how? How does noncompliance as displayed within the context of Bitch Planet work as an allegory for women today? Discuss the female characters in Bitch Planet who are not prisoners, such as Operative Whitney, Don Collins, the model actors, and the patrons of Penny Rolls Bakery. So yeah, it's just like these discussion points. Her whole point of this book is essentially to be like, I want to talk about feminism mm. and the patriarchy uh, and how women are still oppressed. And I get the impression from reading a bit about it, you know, leading up to her run on Captain Marvel, people were complaining before it even started that, oh, she's going to force her feminist worldview on on this superhero that we like. Yeah. And, and her response was like, oh, if they want to see an angry feminist... I'll show them and I'll make Bitch Planet. Yeah. And, you know, kind of deliberately being very provocative and putting it all out there. And the, well, not the first issue, but the the trade has this big two-page spread that uh, looks almost like a 50s or 60s sci-fi B-movie. It's got a great logo. Yeah. yeah. Um, Space is the mother, Earth is the father. And for your wickedness, your father has cast you out. You will live out your lives in penitence and service here on Bitch Planet. Yeah, and every title page, which has the credits, has this big logo, and it always has like little text, like, you will live out your lives in penitence and service here. May the mother have mercy on your souls. And each issue kind of starts off uh, with this big kind of splash page with mm-hmm. the title and, and these kind of texts and stuff like that. And the, the last issue we read, issue five, has, says, those who are beyond correction or castigation, like a cancer, must be excised from the world that bore them. So this is kind of like the through line or mm-hmm. the the talking point for the men. And it's always, we're going to control you. And if you don't listen to us, we're going to send you to the planet. So it is like, it's super 
on the nose, super obvious. Yeah, there's no, you know, real illusion about the purpose of sending them away. It's not, oh, this is this is for your benefit. Like there's no even there's not even that phony PR spin in this universe. It's just like, yeah. oh yeah, they're they're out of line. Gotta gotta fix that for me, the dude. In the first issue there's this guy and he goes in, and he essentially we find out that he he turned in his ex wife in order to get a new wife. Mm-hmm. Sent her off to this prison. Um, and it, it's it's pretty cold and callous. And, but it's and, so amazing how they tell that story because it is alternating close-ups of the husband and his wife sort of telling this story. And as it unfolds, at first, you get the idea that, oh, something did happen between them and he was reluctant to, to turn her in. But as you keep going, you learn the truth. It's it w- like these two parallel narratives. Yeah. And you think that he's talking about this woman that is on Bitch Planet and instead it's this other woman who ends up dying. And then this kind of reveals the uh, the protagonist of the series, I guess. There's a bunch of main characters, but uh, I guess her name is Camus Kogo. Is that how you would pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's this... Um, we're kind of seeing things... Th- things through her perspective and she's kind of pushing back a a bit and again she's playing with those tropes that you see in women in prison films but a lot of times what she's doing she's just tweaking them ever so slightly because a lot of those movies from the 60s and 70s a lot of those exploitation movies were for for men sure Uh, and a lot of the framing uh, and the filmmaking was to show women in these positions fighting each other, usually with not a lot of clothes on. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this is she there's a lot of nudity, but you know she likes to show all different body types, all different skin colors, really really large women, really small women, and none of it is titillating by design. Mm-hmm. It's all these women in these kind of being manipulated and controlled it, on this uh, penal colony. Most of the time, the nudity is used to show vulnerability. The one point where it's used for exploitation, it's used within the narrative specifically for exploitation. There is a scene in the shower room where these two women uh, start making out and there's a peephole and it turns out that it's just, they have figured out that there is a there is some man who watches the showers and it's an exchange. They kind of put on this show knowing that he's not going to, he's not going to tell the authorities anything he may overhear. And then Camus eventually uses that knowledge to to lure him to watch her masturbate. And then she busts through the wall and catches him in a compromising position mm-hmm. and threatens to turn him in. Right. Uh, oh, that was a piece I was missing. The flip side is he could also have gotten in trouble for getting caught doing what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we'll, we'll let it slide if you just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And she's like, no, fuck that. You're busted. And I'm going to take you down with me unless. Yeah. Unless you, you start doing work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really see the outcome of that in this story. And really, this, this, uh, this first collected trade is the first five issues of the series. There's currently 10 issues. Uh, and there's also like another ancillary uh, series, I yeah, guess. Yeah, like spin-off stories. Yeah, and- I think they're all short stories about... Uh, the characters within the prison. So we've only read the first five issues. Um, I believe she's coming back to do more. Uh, at least that's what I've seen in interviews. I think they just took a, a an abnormally long break. Um, Which is not unusual for stuff at Image Comics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they can't all be Savage Dragon, which I think still almost 30 years later is coming out every month. Yeah, yeah. Or has he finally ended that? Anyway. Nope. 
uh, it's not unusual for the creator-owned stuff to come in fits and starts. Essentially, the arc of this first five issues is Camus is kind of lured into playing this game. Megaton is the name of the game. Yeah. It it looks like some violent version of basketball or soccer, some e- sort of combination. Yeah, I mean, it is... I don't think the, the specifics of the game matter. What matters is that they're forcing these women in, to play this game, and Camus is using it as a way to kind of rig the system in her advantage to get some pertinent information. Yeah, it's very much like a running man kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't see the outcome of that uh, in these five issues. We only really see them uh, training. Yeah, we see them play a scrimmage against guards, and it's obvious that the rules are rigged against them. You're not allowed to pile on. So if any, if there's any combat, it's only supposed to be one-on-one. Of course, the guards break that rule. Um, one of the women ends up getting killed. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the the men behind the scenes are seeing this as an opportunity to get uh, to boost ratings mm-hmm. by putting this sort of uh, you know the spectacle of these barbarous, non-compliant women putting them in the arena and and fighting these other professional megaton teams. Camus sees it as an opportunity to to sort of use that system against them. So so Camus gets blamed for the murder of uh, one of the other inmates. And so in exchange for playing this game, she wants to know who the real killer is. She wants her family to be set free. Those are her conditions. So she's setting this kind of plan into motion. um, And we've only seen the first half of this, essentially. She also gets a list of all the other inmates because she wants her team to win. Yeah, she wants to be able to put together a group of women who have a a chance of holding their own once they get to the arena. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess initially she had intended this series, she wanted it to be, she wanted to do like every issue kind of like highlights one of the inmates. Mm-hmm. And she realized it was a little too close to Oranges of the New Black. Um, but the third issue does do sort of like a, a a bit of an origin story for one of the characters. It kind of shows what her life was prior to coming to Bitch Planet. And um, that's Penelope. And she's like this heavy set woman uh, she used to be like a baker, but it shows kind of her youth and, uh, you know, her her upbringing and how she got into these positions and how everything is kind of stemmed down to stems to, you know, again, control. They're, they're trying to control her. It shows that she really didn't have a fighting chance at mm-hmm. all growing up. Uh, she was the character who I mentioned earlier. Her um, her father was white. Her mother was black. And that was illegal. Uh, and so she she sort of had these obstacles systemically put in place to keep her in line and to keep her from you know, becoming a truly independent and free-willed person. It ultimately, it all comes to a head uh, in the bakery that she, uh, I'm, I'm assuming she owns, when these customers are complaining for the, you know, however many time that she has not put the state-controlled news channel on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's this great scene of her sort of realizing all these indignities that have always been ha- happening to her, happening in real time in her bakery and then she just loses it throws people out you know beats one of the guys with a, a rolling pin mm-hmm. smashes the tv mm-hmm. tells the three skinny girls who are sharing a muffin to get out there and take their muffin <laughs> yep uh she's kind of presented in front of the board I, I guess like i wouldn't call it parole but she's you know they're bringing her up on they're bringing up her charges and they're talking about her context of why she's in in prison and all that stuff uh, but the way they talk to her, these feel like talking points that we hear over and over again uh, in the past few years. Like, all we want is to help you be happy. 
Why do you insist on making your own life so difficult? Why must you be so angry? Uh, this is all like, this comic came out in 2014. Uh, and this all predates like the whole, you know, the rallies that we had a few years back, uh, the women's rallies for women's rights. Um, she's keying into something that was bubbling on the surface. Oh, yeah. I mean, none of this is new to the last handful of years by no. any stretch. But I mean, there's a lot of overlap with this and <clears throat> obviously um, Handmaid's Tale, which the book by Margaret Atwood uh, uh, and then the recent adaptation, it kind of borrows liberally from that, too. And. And that also has like, you know, state sponsored control of women. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of the artwork? I thought the art was great. I um, I agree. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I was not familiar with either um, of the creators. It's, it's really been a while since I've been very plugged into comics. Sure. It's kind of bold and kind of almost graphic kind of blacks and whites and really thick, bold inking. It has a certain quality to it that is very evocative of maybe the era from when these women in prison movies came from. Yeah. There oh, is yeah. there is a sort of classic late mid 20th century design to a lot of it. Sure. And even like the styling maybe of their hair is kind of a borrowed a lot from the 70s too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of afros and and longer hair and and then the and the coloring too. There's a lot of instances where um you get those big color dots oh yeah 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 the um they're called ben day dots yeah you see that a lot when they do any flashbacks yeah but it also uses kind of like a lot of colors typically associated with you know femininity like with pinks and purples but kind of uses them for uh, a lot of the villains i guess there's a character there's kind of like this it's this hologram that kind of delivers information to them and she's pink uh and she's sort of like um the habit that the nuns wear, but she also has like this kind of a uh, corset, and yeah, really big chest, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of like that uh, Madonna whore complex kind of figure that they kind of play into. But she's the one that's always kind of relaying information to them. There is one panel where you know one of the inmates says, "I hate that bitch," and the other one says, "We all do." That's why they use her. Like she's deliberately yeah. supposed to. You know, the the women who are there are likely going to be offended by what this hologram represents. Oh, for sure. It kind of reminds me a lot of stuff like from 1984, like Brazil. But she's she's also like there to kind of rally them, sort of. Or like obviously, it's meant to be sort of like a. I guess hopeful, but in actuality, it's it's the opposite. She's almost like a nurse ratchet character. Yeah, but she says like, "Good morning, ladies. The body is a temple. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Soap and water wash away our yesterdays. Each day we begin anew. The body is a temple. So like all these like empty platitudes. Mm-hmm. And... Not unlike the prayer booths in THX. Yeah, exactly. This has a lot of THX in it, I think, except for it's all. It's all women. Right. But you know, I, I thought of THX a lot with the, there are a couple of technicians who kind of come back as um, characters who comment on the women and help sort of color our idea of what this world is like early on. They're, they're the ones who bring up that hologram. They're the ones who administer the, um, you know, the, the sort of load-in procedure when new inmates arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt very, you know, their conversation was very, banal but also gave you some key context clues there's a lot of that in thx and at the end of each issue uh it's sort of a throwback to comics from the 70s and 80s and where uh it'd be ads you know 
when I was a kid, you'd pick up like those old issues and it'd be like, cut this out and send it in. And you'll get this little Spider-Man figurine, except for this says they're always, it's always labeled, labeled, Hey kids, patriarchy. It has things like misconnection, you know, like those kind of like you'll see in like, um, not want ads, but what's the other classifieds? Yeah. Where they'll say, I think the lady who took my money at Captain D's had a hashtag non-compliant tattoo. I hope it was anyway, because that would be awesome. And then like, we've got your spirit fingers right here. And it's like one of those big foam fingers, except for it's like a middle finger. And then it says, are you non-compliant? Girls, girls, girls. You want that sexy, his blood in a bottle around your neck, crazy chick mystique? What says dreamy bad girl, like a temporary tattoo? So it's all playing off of like those old comics. It even has that kind of texture to it. And it's like that yellowy color and like the, the printing that's off a bit, you know, where it's kind of, you could see like the colors off from like the ink lines and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. So complementing all of the heavy themes, there's also a lot of playfulness uh, that it especially comes through in the art. So there's one scene, Camus is, is sort of on the fence about putting a team together for uh, Megaton. I don't know if they're they're like in a gym or like on a big treadmill or something. Seems like a treadmill. Uh, and there's this, you know, there's a big screen in the background with, uh, it's all pink. And again, kind of like that uh, hologram. It's this hyper-sexualized uh, woman doing these calisthenics. Camu is is running, doing her routine and, and inmates are coming up to her one by one to sort of plead their case for why they think they should do it. And then slowly what ends up happening in the background is a huge prison riot. Uh, instigated by um, Penelope, yeah. uh, instigated by Penelope, who uh, is approached by a guard in the background and like yanks his uh, nightstick out of his hand, hits him, and then guards start piling on. And slowly but surely, more women and more guards kind of come in from out of frame. But it goes on for um, three, four, five. Yeah, it's, it's it's five pages of you know two characters in the foreground running and talking. It's all kind of inconsequential, but it it does a lot of, especially for Penelope's character, it says a lot about who she is and what she's probably going to be like if they put a team together. But it was a great example of, yeah, the sort of dynamism and uh, the 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 volume of stuff that's happening in the frames in this comic a lot. There's so much stuff that's always happening in the background. So there's like a foreground action and a background action. And he's even like, instances where it'll show the men kind of like you know having meetings or formulating their plan for for getting higher ratings uh and you'll see things like there's one scene where there's people who are sort of walking through a kitchen to this this um kind of banquet kind of thing and you'll see one kind of side and and there's like a dialogue from what's happening in the main room someone that's giving a speech and you'll see people walking through this kitchen and then this character in the background just kind of smacks this other girl on the butt and and so there's like little tiny attention to detail so even in the margins of this story you know the men are oppressing the women or or you know sexually assaulting women which says as much about what's going on in this world as any of the more direct kind of talking head scenes mm-hmm. i mean it's pervasive it's everywhere even in the places where you aren't looking or don't expect to look like there's there's always more happening than what's directly in front of you and that's where these problems come from is because it's easy to ignore something if you're not looking it in the eye. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, are you interested in, in finishing it or at least what's, what's currently available? Yeah, I'll check it out. I, I honestly did not know until shortly before we were going to meet to record this, that it was only 
10 issues. I would have, I probably would have tried to read both volumes. I, I, I had assumed since it was from, since it started a few years ago that there was more to it, but. Yeah, I don't know if the, the next five provide uh, some sort of conclusion or, or at least like a, because at the end of these five, it says end of book one. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it feels a little abrupt. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it just feels like, oh, this was all the setup for the actual what's going to happen. Uh, it doesn't mean that this doesn't feel like uh, a, a, a complete picture of what this story is. Sure. Like, I didn't feel like, oh, well, now that you just got started. I was like, no, this is this is working on its own. Yeah. I mean, any disappointment was just in myself for not doing that extra bit of uh, research ahead of time and sure. and getting that next volume because I it, it does end on a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, so there's one of the characters um Miko, Miko who is uh as part of their um you know practice run against the guards um is murdered. Uh and we find out that uh her father is is an important I guess He's just involved with the the business of of the prison and uh, and the the game itself, mm-hmm. and he's on his way to visit. Um, he's forced to essentially. And his wife is calling him a coward. Oh right, because they they don't want to go see their daughter because she got sent away to prison, but he's kind of forced to go. And at the end of the issue, we find out that she's dead, uh, and that's kind of how it ends. Um, yeah, but I, I I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Have you read any other comics by Deconic? I mean, you've talked about Captain Marvel. Yeah, I read the whole, I read all of her Captain Marvel run, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like. It's 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 pretty fun and, and light. Uh, and I read uh, some of her other series for Image Comics called Pretty Deadly, which is sort of a cross between like a horror western kind of thing. Oh, okay, um, but that's a lot of fun too. I, she's a I really like her work. I think she's pretty fascinating writer. Cool. Yeah. You? No. This um, is the first. Yeah, the first time. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I've really been out of the loop on comics for, for a number of years. So yeah. this is completely off my radar. Sure. Why did we choose this? We we, we hadn't done a comic in a while and, and we were... We wanted to do something that wasn't superhero related. Right. And, but there were some things kind of coming up uh, in terms of movies. Uh, Wonder Woman 84. Sure. Um, Birds of Prey. Yeah. Uh, dropped in February. I think when I had asked what was going on with the next Captain Marvel movie, that's when you said, oh, well, there's this comic bitch planet by the woman who wrote the story arcs that were mm-hmm. the framework for the Captain Marvel film. So yeah. that's how we got here. And I think you know a lot of the conversation around superhero movies certainly has been how long it's taken for Marvel to finally have a solo film built around uh, a female character. So it was Captain Marvel... Black Widow is finally getting hers this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know how Wonder Woman was really the the lone standout in the the DC efforts to get their cinematic universe off the ground. And at this point, as we're recording it, uh, Birds of Prey is about to come out. And I don't know if there are full on reviews yet, but it seems like some yeah, early imp- some. some early impressions have uh, been into it. Certainly. Uh, yeah. They say it kind of takes that narrative of the DC universe, extended universe, uh, as far as the films go, is a bit toxic. And we're trying to get a distance from that. And it kind of makes that this sort of meta narrative. Mm-hmm. I think the trailers look pretty fun. Uh, I love the cinematography, um, at least what I've seen so far. So I'm interested to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's just refreshing to see some color in their movies. 
Mm. Um, they're always so grim and dark. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously the early uh, Zack Snyder ones kind of drove that. And I think they're sort of, um, it's sort of like crushing the other ones. Cause I don't, we didn't see that in Wonder Woman and Aquaman is definitely not that either. Right. So uh, I'm hoping we could, you, cha- that narrative starts to change and that's not like this thing that people automatically associate with those movies mm-hmm. because I think they're starting to do their own interesting thing and it looks like um, they're allowing creators to to make their own movies at least that's what it seems like which I think is a, um, probably a in some ways a better choice than what Marvel does uh, for all his faults, at least those movies are Zack Snyder movies, mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes to me is more appealing than seeing something that is nearly identical and felt like it's designed by committee. Uh, so hopefully they'll keep going in that direction and allowing creators to to put their own sort of individual um, footprint on it. Yeah, and it seems like Margot Robbie really took advantage of the situation she was presented with um, you know, in a positive way, you know, she was um, sort of the standout of Suicide Squad. She liked the character. DC and Warner Brothers liked her as the character. And she leveraged that to put Birds of Prey together the way she wanted. She got uh, a woman to direct it, made sure that the, the film was, you know, focused on women characters. Yeah. Um, There's this clip that's going around where she's fighting in another character. I think it's, I think it's black canary. Yeah. Uh, and her hair keeps getting in black canary's hair keeps getting in her face. And then Harley kind of rolls over on her roller skates and gives her a scrunchie or or, or hair elastic. Um, so that's not something you usually see in a superhero movie. No, no. So I think that's what we're looking for. And it's just different perspectives. And that's, what's great about this comic too, is, it does kind of reframe these things that, you know, even if you haven't seen a ton of women in prison films, you're still kind of familiar with the language of those movies. Uh, so it's good to see her kind of take that and say, like, I like these things, but I want them to be better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to to have it deal with all of these topics so head on the way it does, you know, I, I could there's a world where uh, there is a a guy who came up with this idea and it's tone deaf and off. And this is very much a comic, uh, written by a woman. Right. Um, and from a woman's perspective and doesn't pull any punches with anything because it shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, And it's not, it's not there to make you feel comfortable. And I think if it was written by a man that maybe it would kind of, you know, potentially get into that category of, well, not all men. <laughs> yeah. Because there doesn't seem to be any male characters in this comic with any redeeming values. And that's okay. <laughs> right. I mean, the the uh, the one man who is shown positively, I guess, is Penelope's father, whose only crime was loving a woman who wasn't the same color as him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a pretty fucked up place to live. Yeah. So what would you recommend? going from here it's funny you mentioned that because i you know a few episodes ago i did already mention a briefly a movie that um that i think is is kind of appropriate for this and that's the female um 
Prisoner Number Seven, Scorpion, uh, which is this um, Japanese movie, uh, and that is again like a woman in prison movie, um, it, but also combines it with um, a revenge movie. Uh, but it's beautifully directed. Uh, it's starring uh, Miko Kaji, and she pops up and and she's also in she's the main character in Lady Snowblood. Uh, which is another uh, yeah, that movie's great. Great revenge uh, movie, uh, and it's directed by Shunya Ito, uh, and it's great because it does this thing that uh, you don't see too often nowadays, where it does uh, it'll get into uh, you know a set piece, and then it'll the colors will change, and it's not the colors aren't dictated about the scene; it's dictated by the mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like unmotivated colors. So like it'll just all of a sudden become like just bright red. Very late '60s, early '70s, but it's it's just some beautiful compositions in this movie, um, and it is about female empowerment, um, directed by a man. And there is obviously some moments um, uh, f- uh, where male gaze is probably a factor, uh, but it is a good movie and it subverts some of that too. And and I'm going to recommend one other movie in, um, that's Caged Heat, which is another women in prison movie, but this is directed by Jonathan Demi. This is one of his first movies. Uh, Demi, as you know, is the director of um, Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, Something Wild, uh, Stop Making Sense. One of the greatest directors of all time. Uh, and so it, he started off uh, with Roger Corman. And Corman was always about making it cheap and making it accessible to a wide audience. And, you know, Corman was always the guy that was just like, you throw in some violence, you throw in some TNA, and we'll be good. So he kind of presented with this type of movie and he had some stock footage and he kind of did that to also subvert expectations of what a woman in prison movie is. Not a perfect movie, but very interesting, especially in the arc of his career. Um, So yeah, what about you? Uh, I'm going to do a reverse recommendation and say that if you've watched and enjoyed Orange is the New Black, then I would say check this out. For sure. Yeah, I, 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 I fell off with Orange is the New Black, so I think I'm maybe a season and a half behind. I know you know it's ended at this point. Mm. We finished it. Yeah. Yeah. I like the ending. I think it works. I think the show is always kind of hit and miss, but I, it was always compelling enough to, to keep me um, watching it. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, obviously the parallels are, um, there are a lot of them. I mean, even the creators of Bitch Planet said... Uh, you know, they deliberately didn't watch the show because they um, became aware of some some overlap. Uh, but both have really big, diverse cast of characters. You know, not not just putting these issues front and center, but they they both give a lot of attention to the individual characters and allow their stories to take a bit of the spotlight. So yeah, I think uh, you know if you're not a comic reader um, or have been out of the loop for a while, but you've watched and enjoyed Orange Is the New Black, I think uh, yeah, check this one out. So what are we talking about next time? Uh, next time we're going to be talking about Neuromancer by William Gibson. Uh, why? Why? Because it's great. <laughs> uh, so you recommended this to me. Yes, I did. I uh, think you had... Actually, you know, I think what had happened was is I was going on a trip and I said, do you have any books that are in the you know 200 page range that I could borrow for my trip? Mm-hmm. And you sent me a photo of a stack of of books and that was one of them and I said oh I think that one's perfect because I know you really like that and it's obviously this big influence on the whole cyberpunk genre I mean it really 
you know, it's the beginning of it. Yeah, I think that and that and Blade Runner were really the one-two punch that kicked off cyberpunk as a yeah. subsect of science fiction. Um, and yeah. you know, we love origins on on the show. So we sure do. We wanted to figure out. Okay, yeah, let's go back to the source and yeah. stuff. And 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 obviously, it's something that you love. So um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. Great. See you then. Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Stitcher Premium, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And thanks, as always, to What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, where we record our episodes. If you want to learn more about them, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at What Cheer Club and visit their website at whatcheerclub.org.